0: The subject of this evening's talk is On Being Successful If we look at two fairly obvious features of what is generally regarded or determined as being the path towards success we see that two features in our society tend to tend to sta- stand out as noticeable character- characteristics one of them is knowledge a certain knowledge in a particular field that knowledge which one has acquired in the, the course of time And included in the concept of knowledge, of course, a certain expertise. And that expertise is accompanied by willpower, a certain will, a certain drive to direct one's life, one's focus, one's energy in conjunction with that knowledge in a particular direction. And wherever you and I look at people who are regarded as being successful in our society, we tend to notice, possibly to some degree or other, that there is this conjunction of knowledge, acquired knowledge which is being used, employed, extended in the field of time, and accompanied by a strong will to succeed. And this having, of course, Uh, This being of the nature of such that it's a particular kind of action which is engaged in and that action brings some result. And the results which come through the course of that action can be successful and thereby bringing to the recipient a certain degree of pleasure and obviously failure tends to uh, bring the corresponding degree of suffering that there is such an obvious um, repetition, one might, one might say, of this way of looking at life, that it becomes the way that large numbers of people live. And some people, through many, many factors, and under, particularly for the underprivileged, often do not have one or the other, do not have the knowledge at hand through lack of education or the expertise and certain resources which are necessary and do not have the the willpower. And so what easily happens, we notice again and again in our society, is that those who succeed become... um, the people with the influence, with the money, with the power, and those who do not succeed live in a state of underprivileged and live in envy. And this we notice is a common structure within our society. That structure having external factors, social, economic, political factors, and of course having internal factors one's personal makeup, one's personal conditioning, and therefore, personal, in the personal conditioning factor, something for you and I to observe. One of the things which is occurring in uh, europe and uh, and England, which has never quite decided whether it 's in Europe or out of it at the moment. It wants to be out, but it's uh, you know, next year it would change um, but one of the things which is occurring in uh, in uh, Europe and England is that as more questioning takes place due to a whole variety of of factors, the questioning begins to overlap a little bit more. And what I mean by that is that there is more external and internal questioning. And one of the things with, in or with that regard, and to some extent, this situation here is that rather than a reflection of that, I'll come to it in a moment, is that one has a wide um, dearth of literature which is being published on... Alternative ways of living and has it as it were coming together in the form of the green movement, green politics, the alternatives in society in which women and men look at non violence, look at peace, at issues of peace, look at society free from the corruptive influences of. Uh, Uh, the nuclear age, look at women's issues, look at the relationship to creatures and this monstrous exploitation of the animals in the laboratories and factory farming. Look at what we're doing to our environment. And over the years, really over the last 10 or 15 years, what has emerged is, I would say, a cohesive and intelligent philosophy of for life, to deal with the issues of our time, put under the general banner of green politics, or green activism, or green issues. And this cohesive philosoph- philosophy, as you can see, I'm an expound proponent of it, you may not agree, but anyway, it's this green Uh, philosophy, one of the characteristics that it has is that it has a strong ethical foundation. It's coming, for all the limitations of it, from the minds and hearts of women and men who care. That's a distinguishing factor, and that very factor gives it a spiritual quality to it. And the very concept of the spiritual quality, I notice more and more in the peace movement and the green movement, comes to have much more frequency of expression. And so what is... And for those of you, I mean, just in very simple terms, somehow I've got to get this back to what we're doing here. It won't take long. Um, (laughs) It's, it's what's a little parallel to it is, the, is from a century ago, whereby the, in that period of time there was what is called red politics, and, and the, the real concern from an, a certain eth- I hope this isn't due here in America, I know how things are. Um, that in that period, too, under the influence of Marx, there was an ethical consideration about the plight of the poor and the oppressed and the exploited. And that ethical consideration has moved over in one century to a wider concern, equally concerned for those who are deprived, but also for creatures and environment, and particularly for the third world. And what one sees is, like here, a widespread amount of literature which is being published, the shelves being full of books, Just as there is on Buddhism, which has such an appeal to the rational mind, and brought about, um, coupled with ways and means of exploring one's life and one's inner life, and so one has there a certain position and viewpoint. But the main thing is, and the important thing, out of all those books which are published, that somehow or other it leads to grassroots activity and it's going from this pervasive knowledge about the issues of our time and here at the personal issues of our time what's happening in your life and mine life to actual application and the application is grassroots activity and grassroots activity here is sitting on your zafu. <laughs> <laughs> It's walking up, walking up and down, it's taking one's food mindfully. It's an expression of people who care. It's an expression of concern. And I feel within that sp- expression of, of concern, we express a certain solidarity for people who care about social justice, about non- non-violence, about exploitation, about life in its totality. And in that inquiry, in that looking and, the, and examination with regard to life, one begins to notice and observe that the old model, the fixed model to some degree of knowledge and the, and the, the almost the blind pursuit of knowledge and the willpower for success, somehow or other is Out of sync, sync with our society, it's out of sync with our needs, with ourselves. And yet somehow or other this message of looking at the drive for success, almost the compulsion for success one might say, so rarely gets looked at. And it's not surprising when young people are subjected to the educational system, the competitiveness, the being the top of the class, the getting of the best grades and and all of that propelling mechanism. And we see, surely, we see all the personal consequences of that. We see the pain that, that, that comes out of that. And one ends up asking oneself, that drive for success, to imitate, to be like the successful, quote-unquote. The question then comes, is that being really successful? And the second question, which, which surely must come for you and I, is, am I imitating that? If I ask myself, is this drive to be better, superior, to be the top, to have power and privilege, to create that hierarchical structure, and to be someone big in this world? If one asks oneself, and, and comes up with the conclusion, with the conclusion or the understanding, that isn't successful in itself. That just living in that propelling force of the mind with all the consequences. If that isn't successful, am I on that road? Even though my mind may come up temporarily with the doubt which says, why am I living like this? But is that doubt actually in our, in our life being such that there's a real concern about that way of living? Because it's not unusual for a place like IMS, like the holistic centres, like the various retreats and courses that are taking place, like some of the more simple meditation systems like TM and so forth I hope the Maharishi doesn't mind he will anyway never mind so in which the actual outlook and the attitude of mind can simply be to come into a situation to get a bit of respite You know, it's like going on holiday or taking a breather and then once the breather is over getting rid of some of those tensions up in the up in the shoulder blades and um, and relaxing out a little bit in order that one can really get back into it and really get on with one's career at man- at matter at no matter what the cost and sometimes facilities are used in that mode, but that is not the function, the purpose here, certainly to reduce some of the tensions and pressures, but also to look and to see how compelled we are in one way of living now looking too at this whole area of success it 's not only with the career orientation and the kind of compelling factor which accompanies that but but also it 's in this area of relationship and personal relationship and 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 it seems to me that one of the characteristics of events which I notice spiritually speaking is changing in the course of time is generally speaking the, um, um, there's some awareness now and there's some reflection of this um, very much here. The other night when John had a discussion group, for those of you who weren't here, there was a discussion or a dialogue, shall we say, on the process of thought, on the influence of thought. And there's more, more and more... On the spiritual scene, there's a, a recognition of the limitations of thought. Some of the teachers have, uh, well, uh, re- whatever popular, recognized, uh, spoken of this frequently, the limitations of thought and a certain value of thought. But, and so there's a growing capacity and a very important step, I feel, that you and I can see our thoughts more clearly, we can let them go more easily and not get so embroiled in the thinking activity. But when it comes to the emotional life, the, fee- the feeling life, though we might be, as it were, getting a little bit more balanced with the thinking, which isn't easy, then the feeling life, of course, is another whole ball game altogether. And and there needs to be, of course, a great deal of care and sensitivity with regard to our feeling life and, and what that means. And, and again, one sees and notices, particularly in the area of the personal re- relationship, how much pain is occurring and arising in people's lives, in the area of personal relationship. Sometimes it's with lover, sometimes it's with parents, sometimes it's with friend, sometimes it's with employer, employee, but just how much is arising? And what one senses with that, that, that area needs as much concern and care and observation and understanding as any other avenue of our life. And in that, there is no there's no formula, there's no way, you you and I were looking at a bookshop the other day, stacks of books about how to have a successful relationship, how to have a successful sex life, how to have a, a successful marriage and so forth. And there may be a whole frequency of insights within that literature. But there's also the grassroots practice and observation of being in touch with, with oneself because by, often by the time that we get to the books it's too late our life <laughs> the pain and the confusion and the heartache and so forth of that is already overwhelming and dominating so the keeping in touch with ourselves at the feeling level and being aware in, in that area so that in our In our personal life, we can feel, we can acknowledge our feelings, we don't have to um, water them down or deny them, and we remain in touch with that level of experience. And the meditation practice, amongst the many factors, it is towards the finding of that. And one of the things in the spiritual life which is emerging, and hopefully it will really develop over these years, over these, over these next years, that one of the old answers to the problem of one's feeling life and, one, and emotional life was in some respect to simply keep away from it. Keep away from it meant becoming a monk, becoming a nun, leading a celibate life and leading that form of life which d- does give a certain kind of protection to oneself from being involved from being caught and trapped in the emotional field, which be, can become very painful, and it, it it is an answer. And I think think for some people, it is an appropriate answer. I don't think one has to swing right over there. Some people move in and out of relationships far too frequently, and the mind never gets a chance to get a breather. One relationship ends, and one straight into the next one, same old pain, same old confusion, and one needs to stop and say, well, what's going on here? Maybe I don't have so much understanding about relationships. Maybe I need to step back from that and have some space in my life and be alone, be a little bit more with myself and be celibate and practice that. So the mind is able and feels more comfortable and settled and there's a certain seasoning of one's emotions in order to be able to work with relationships more skillfully. Now that's all, like I got to last night, it's all you and I listening to ourselves. Rather than using this peculiar criteria, my parents use it, and possibly some of yours do. That The criteria for success is, is length of time. We've, of course we've got a successful marriage. We've been married 42 years. <laughs> in a, and one's whole memory of the marriage is shouting and slamming of, slamming of doors and the throwing of saucers. LAUGHTER and this is a measure of success. You know, it's, it's such a phenomena. <laughs> so, so one can't consider really the, the, this, this, the sense of success in, in that way. And I rather, as I quoted um, some time ago, I do like this, the, 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 the person from California, the lady who, who said, I've been married... Married three times, and each of my marriages has been a great success. This, this, I feel, <laughs> feel is a healthier attitude, and not really. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's, it's I feel in our. It's our looking very much in the here and now situation, feeling and being in touch with our experiences. And that, again, connecting in a way with life which shows a certain balance. And, and, and in some respect, the old tradition always has said, and, and there's certainly a great deal of truth to it, for, for these, some of these areas of our life, our relationship to life, our daily life activities, our feeling and emotional life, somehow or other, as much as we can, Needs to be brought into balance, needs to be sorted out to some degree in order that the deeper spiritual insight and the mystical seeing and understanding which denies the word can take place. But the traditional way has been one removes oneself to some degree from society, as one knows it, one finds a certain order in one's life through the discipline of a particularized lifestyle, and then meditates. Now, what we're trying to do is, in a way, revolutionize that that old concept and say life is where we are, life is relationship. Life, life life, is work and activity. Life is leisure and pleasure. Life is spiritual. And we're finding ways to try to integrate that. Now that's a radically different step from what's the message that has been put out for two and a half thousand years. And that's, it's not easy, we're all finding and struggling and seeing how we can do that with an ethical basis. Some are trying to do that, but there's no one doesn't get the sense that in trying to do that, there's a real sense of an ethical basis towards it, a concern for the poor and the exploited, a concern for the suffering humanity. And it's just something else that's going on. But when one coming from an ethical concerned, concerned basis, then it's how you and I are going to explore and integrate these things into our lives. Now one of the things which arises, and particularly some of you who um, get exposed to some of the Buddhist concepts and so forth, that very, very easily one hears certain words or whatever and one hasn't understood these words. This is not at all unusual. And and they're actually concepts. And I'll give you a a fairly... um, uh, a couple of examples to illustrate this. Some time ago, I gave a, a retreat. And this is in uh, Australia. And one of the people who was on the uh, retreat had um, listened, and usual thing in, in, in Buddha Dharma, one speaks about non-clinging, non-attachment, non-grasping, detachment, letting go. I mean, the, the, these are themes, they're spiritual Themes, but there's themes in life which need an understanding. Otherwise, otherwise it creates confusion. Now, one person listened to the the talks which these themes were mentioned. He went to visit, in fact, a peculiar friend. But anyway, he went to visit a friend who was married and with children, and he started speaking to the woman about these themes, as though he understood what they mean. And the motive of the mind was because, fundamentally, he fancied her. And he said to her that she ought to let go of her husband. No, don't be so attached to her children. And she should be free. And it was, it was a form of Manipulation. And, and, that, and that certainly came clear, clear to me when I met, met her some time later. And she went away, left one day, the children, four young children and her husband, and went off with this guy. R- rather overwhelmed and, inf- and influenced by the kind of language and coming across as one who knows a great deal and like a philosopher, etc., etc., and the pain that it caused in that. And and as I say, very easily, one's mind can use these kind of concepts, but never can the concepts be used without an awareness of love, care, and an ethical foundation. Otherwise, those concepts, detachment, letting go, being free, can be used for anything, to get one's own way. And rather, in a similar way, what, what happens, and I, and I notice this is a male, rather predominantly male kind of characteristic, or the male in us as men and women, where there, there's areas in life of relationship and personal relationship. And we have to look at ourselves as well in this, where one says, I want commitment in the relationship, I want continuity in the other relationship, and the other has got all this Buddhist conditioning, this funny old conditioning, which says, um, everything's impermanent. I don't know, um, when things might change, um, but I want to be with you, but I'm not sure about tomorrow because who knows, someone else might turn up on the scene for me, etc., etc. And it creates within that or even though there's a certain truth being expressed, person person's saying what they're feeling, but it easily can create in that so much waves of confusion, simply because the idea of impermanence is being put out and it may not be so skillful, it may just be a thought. And sometimes the feeling factor inside of oneself is quite different. And more and more one sees in this, just as you and I here are practicing and applying as much as possible care and attention to the here and now, somewhere living in an integrated way must certainly emphasize for us an awareness in the here and now which finds some kind of balance in our relationship to the future. Now, instead of one one partner pressurizing in the relationship, continuity, and the other pressurizing, um, not the not sure. Instead of perhaps looking, what's the present reality for us, and what some of us have found, if there is a continuity of love and affection with the relationship, the relationship continues. Not so much a question of one wanting continuity and the other not sure those states of mind, but where there is love and affection and there's the renewal of that, relationship is much more likely to continue. And where that drops away and 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 it's finished, the relationship finishes. So so practice in life and being integrated in life and what's happening here is in order that you and I find ways to be integrated into our present. To try to, for us to absor- absorb or to understand that as much as possible, because this is where we are. In coming into retreat, and particularly, of course, onto the first first day, first day of a retreat, we can easily bring in the old mind. And the old mind, meaning that the mind A, which feels willpower, is the answer. Or or the mind which has some connection with that in terms of measuring what success is. And so some of you have been on retreats before, like in the discussion groups that we had today. Some of you have done a considerable amount of spiritual spiritual practice and work. And very easily you arrive here and one sees, one comes in, one has a certain expectation. That expectation which one has is, in the past, I achieved this. Some images in the mind. In the past, I got this far. And, or I had this particular form of experience, whatever it may be. And one comes into the situation And one says, well, with the expectation, sometimes quite unconscious, this time I'm going to get that again, or I'm going to go further. One might as well be walking walking around as a multinational company. (laughs) I mean, it's the same mind at work, isn't it? The profits last year were $20 million, and this, this year it's going to be 25. And it's, this, it's, the, it's the same mind. Here is a measure of success. The image is there from yesterday, yesteryear. Now I'm going to improve on my success. I'm going to build up my balance. But now we're a bit more subtle. I'm going to build up my balance of mind, or whatever might. And we find, then we 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 come in with this, and in the first day we haven't got it. We're, we're we're not enlightened, or or any of these other funny old concepts which are still circulating around. I've thought they went out into the ether years ago, but I see things like enlightenment keep popping up. But it's just, it's such a bothersome concept, anyway. I hope none of you get, ever get enlightened, you know, really. And some of us have met some of these enlightened people. We felt they were much better off before they got enlightened. But anyway, <laughs> so one comes in the first, uh, anyway, so <laughs> one comes in on the first day and so one has some model for success. And this model for success, it, it doesn't actualize that the energy is low, there's tiredness, there's restlessness, there's complete boredom with the talk, etc., etc., <laughs> and, and, and that produces inside of oneself the feeling of failure and the feeling of what am I doing here, what's it all for, I could, I could be somewhere else. And so we, we, understandably, we carry the framework of reference into a situation where it doesn't apply. We're we're working, we're trying to see whether we can look at life in a very, very different way. Different from all the society and all the conditioning which you and I have been exposed to. And that endeavour and that exploration to look, at, look in a, a different way is one which, amongst the many factors for us, is emphasising not so much my experience as success or failure, not so much I'm getting somewhere, I'm getting nowhere, but what's happening for me right now? What's my, what, what's my experience right now? And to stay in touch with that and respond to that, rather and it's not I mean it's not at all easy, rather than mind comes up, thought comes up, judgment comes up, and the judgment affects that experience and affects what comes out of it, affects the very very course of our life. And we hear many, many times, don't we? We we, all, we we hear from in spirituality. I mean, common to all the all true traditions of spirituality. You know, like Jesus saying two thousand years ago, "Judge not, lest ye be judged." You know, when we're judging others, we're also judging ourselves. And and that same message, which has gone from one generation to another, which you hear in here at nauseum, that, 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 that very message which we hear is because of the, of the extraordinary degree of influence that it has on our life. It's not that you when you and I judge ourselves, we say, oh God, I'm useless, or God, I'm great, or I'm really getting somewhere, I'm getting nowhere, you know, why am I, I don't need to do this, I've done it all before, I'm not ready for this, I'm not good enough, look, they're all sitting so still, and, and I'm useless, I'm worthless, etc., and Those various judgments of boosting up our ego or getting the psychological sledgehammer and whacking it down, it's not only the the immediate experience of that which is unsatisfactory, but what we forget, that in the aftermath of those experiences, there's a continuity of it which we don't even relate is connected with the judgmental mind. So it's not just the raw... the raw event, but the outcome. And that, that raw event of judgmental mind and the outcome is when we're caught up in the success-failure syndrome. <clears throat> like the old Bob Dylan says something about, Bob Dylan used to say what said success and success ain't no success at all, something like that. So, in the work and in the practice and in the uh, interest, one might say, to to look look at our practice, it's as much as possible to look at the experience which you and I are participating in. Now, in that, one asks oneself, during the course of the day that you've been here silent, you've been with yourself, and you ask yourself, and, my, and I ask myself, what's been the predominant experience of my day? What's come, what's occurred most noticeably, characteristically for me today? Now, in my normal mind, normal, non, non-meditative mind, ordinary, very ordinary, ordinary mind, When I am experiencing this in my daily life, this experience which comes up to me now, how do I generally seem to relate to it? What's the kind of conditioned way I will usually kind of respond to that? So in other words, there's our practice. Our practice is saying to us, or hopefully it's saying to us, you and I, let's keep right with our experience. Let's not move away, away from it. Let's stay right, right here and now. There's that event for us. And with that event goes something else, which adds to that, that psychological event, that emotional, conceptual event. And so our practice is there, is right there and seeing more clearly or coming to an awareness of what else occurs. Because that what else occurs is a major influencing factor on what outflows. Judge not lest ye be judged. When that occurs, it's not, and I think it would be going too far to say for us, it's not that, therefore, there's no concept at all of success and failure. That is, that is going too far. But rather, when one's one's response to life, and when one does things and meditative activities, and one feels that one's had a good day, one feels that one has had a successful day, or one feels it's been a difficult day, it hasn't gone as well as one would wish. Those responses are there. But because you and I have looked very carefully at the fact of experience, the response of the judgment which has come to it, the charge goes out of the conditioned success-failure syndrome. That starts to make the difference. And so that we get truly connected with life and sometimes we use this form of language. I've had a good day, I've had a bad day, etc. But it's not something out of which one lives one's life. So um, our... Our day, our our meditation here is one of using our practice, developing our practice, seeing what unfolds, watching particularly, I would say, the driving force of the mind, the willpower to succeed. Certainly some effort is required and and that uh, continuity. Watching that driving force of the mind, watching too, if we are introducing in our practice some of this knowledge which we have gotten, gotten from the gurus, gotten from the traditions, gotten from the, uh, the books or whatever, and trying to interpret our practice in that knowledge, to fit that knowledge. And if, we have no, if we're not bothered with that, and that's not a, a criteria for our practice, then our practice can unfold in such a way that it feels, it feels right. It, it feels what's occurring is what we need to be with. And out of that, awareness becomes very much established. Out of that, we become truly conscious human beings. And in that establishing of that awareness and becoming truly conscious human beings, we see that in fact, there's no other way to live. There's no other choice but to live consciously and as clearly as much as possible for insight and discovery to take place. May all beings see into the syndromes of the mind. May all beings be deeply in touch with life. May all beings live with great awareness.